Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 122. We are moving right along. Anything over 100 seems like a big number. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, today we are joined by another um, wonderful person in the MS community, um, a patient leader, an advocate, a blogger, um, just an all-around fantastic individual. And I think everyone loves her when they speak with her because she's just got the best spirit. And um, as Dame, what did, what did Damien say? Damien <laughs> she, said she's the oest of G's. And we didn't say who it was, Kathy Chester. That's right, Kathy yes, Chester. The we, Kathy Chester. The Kathy Chester. <laughs> yes, the oest of G's, according to Damien Washington. Yes. And Kathy has had MS for over 30 years. So mm -hmm. she imparts her wisdom on us and with all of you, hopefully, um, on a daily basis. And um, we hope that this episode does that for you as well. Welcome to season four of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We are two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Myelin Melanin. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. Welcome to this wonderful episode with Kathy Chester. Thank you for being here, Kathy. Oh, thank you. It's, it's my great pleasure to be here with you guys. We've been so excited to talk with you. So yes, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Well, I've really been looking forward to this. Um, I, I just really admire you guys. I have so much respect for what you are, you are doing and you kind of... Um, for me, you, you know, I love seeing the younger generation, uh, which I call you guys, um, you know, just take up the space that I occupied when I was, mm. you know, in my 20s and 30s. And now you just exploded and you're offering so much good information uh, to so many people. And I am just, I feel very blessed to be here right now in this space with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Would you mind telling us a bit about your MS story? I think we have both been biting our nails waiting yes. to hear your, your incredible story. journey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, my journey actually um, sort of started in 1981 when I was in a terrible car accident and I had a concussion and I had to get 16 stitches in my forehead and my feet were numb. And I was young uh, in my 20s, my early 20s. It was right after college graduation. And I didn't really think about why my, my feet are so numb because, you know, life is good. I was working in Manhattan. I had my own apartment. Who wants to stop for illness or even think about it? I went to my doctor. He said my shoes were too tight. And even though the prospect of buying all new shoes is a great one for a woman, it didn't, didn't do anything. So I, I just mm. let it slide until 1986 when I was uh, walking in my heels to try to get, catch a bus to get home and my shoes came off and I didn't even feel it. I knew mm. I was walking weird and I felt the floor. So I went to a, uh, a, uh, a neurologist who did not specialize in MS 
And I mean, at that time, they were only, um, they weren't, MRIs really didn't come into their own yet. So it was a spinal mm. tap and yeah. a uh, CAT scan that uh, diagnosed me right away. I, I wasn't one of those people who unfortunately have to wait a while. Mine was conclusive. Yet I still went in for a second opinion in, in Manhattan because um, my parents insisted. And um, he said the same thing. And he also added, but there will be a cure in five years, which as we know. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 And this was in 86? 1986. Yeah. Wow. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. And there were no MS meds, yeah. uh, FDA approved and, and no social media. So you can imagine how scared and and lonely yeah. and just wanting more information. Uh, it was a, it was a, what I call the dark age, the dark ages yeah. of MS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you said that the doctor said, uh, oh, well, there'll, there'll be a cure in five years because I was just explaining to Dana, I vivid, vividly remember when I was diagnosed, well, prior to my official diagnosis, I saw a, a, a neurologist, but not an MS specialist. And it was almost like this ominous doom and gloom. Uh, well, you looks like you have MS and you're on a spectrum. And then I think a nurse in the background, she said, well, you know, there's no cure. And there are only three drugs and it was like, okay, but there's no cure. That's fine. But can I die? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, then we're good. You know? So it's interesting to hear the different perspectives. He was super conservative too. So I don't think he was like ready to dive into medications. Um, was a doctor ready to jump in on DMTs for you when you were diagnosed? Well, there were no. There, there, it was oh, that's right. Our, yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm no, sorry. It, well, no, no. You're used to saying that because most yeah, people yeah. are diagnosed right. long ago. But um, or any yeah, type of steroids. treatment, I should say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, much to uh, my neurologist, my first neurologist credit, he said, "Look, I'm a, a, a general neurologist. You really need to go <clears throat> to one of these new at that time uh, MS comprehensive care centers, which were just popping up back then." And he was right. And so I did go to an MS care center um, where they take care of not only your physical uh, needs, but your emotional ones and mm -hmm. my family. And at the time, my boyfriend, I was in a serious relationship with the man. And so, um, so he, uh, he suggested that I go there, but they, uh, my first neurologist had told me to give up my job uh, move wow. back home, give up my apartment, you know, and they offered no hope and they would never talk about any kind of complementary medicine. I asked mm -hmm. about yoga and they looked at me like I had three heads. Um, I wanted to try acupuncture. But steroids was the only thing that was being offered back then. The comprehensive care center was really the place where I started to not only learn about what MS was, but to know that as my first nurse practitioner said, um, just, and this, this is said so often now, but it's not anymore. Just remember Kath, that MS is not the total sum of who you are. Yes. And I said, wow, mm. that opens yes. everything. And so I knew that there were possibilities and I knew that I had to begin to advocate for myself and for others so that they could, would never experience what I did in, in those dark days. So, <clears throat> um, 
you know, nowadays, uh, it's so different. And, um, you know, there are doctors, uh, there are traditional doctors still, of course, Mm -hmm. but they, a lot of doctors are learning that this is not acceptable anymore. And because Mm -hmm. of our strong voices, you guys right here in the work that you do, in the work that I do, in the work that Mm -hmm. all the advocates do, we are saying that we deserve better, that we deserve best, better care, that this mm-hmm. is what we need with respect and dignity to who we are as, as people and yes. as patients. And so that's why I began doing what I'm doing um, to, to do that, to, to fulfill that need. And mm-hmm. really it's my mission, but it's just what I absolutely love to do. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, in answer to your question, that was a long answer, but in answer to your question, uh, it, 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 you know, it was just a, the big abyss back then. There was, mm, there was mm-hmm. really nothing. My library had nothing. National MS Society um, through snail mail would send me, send me pamphlets and return my phone calls. And they and the MS Care Center were the ones that helped me and my family Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend, uh, you know, begin to create uh, some hope. And by the way, I married the boyfriend and we're married 32 years. I love so that. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, he always turns red. I've told that story a zillion times. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, so. that makes a difference. Having someone who, you know, sees the journey from the very beginning, from the yeah. onset. Mm-hmm. Yes, and not only that, as, as I get older, too, um, you know, there are some cognitive difficulties that happen mm. because I've had it for 34 years now. I've had MS. Mm. He remembers things that sometimes I'll forget, or he is my mm. advocate because right. everybody needs an advocate. An advocate needs an advocate. And yes. he is my yes. advocate. And he remembers things and he comes with me to the appointments. And he, yeah. So, um, you know, um, relationships, support systems, they're everything. Um, if you have one, two people in your life, you're blessed who will be there, will have your back, will, will, uh, hold you up in your good and bad days. will be there for you on your journey. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't care who they are, um, you know, a spouse, a friend, a colleague, whoever it is, it's so, so important. And I learned that as I was going through this journey that seemed so dark and so maudlin. And um, Mm -hmm. I just uh, felt that other people needed uh, uh, to know that. And uh, I'm just so, I love seeing the MS space now filled with so many others that are support or so many other advocates that are supporting others. There's there's plenty of room at the end because there's so many people that have MS and have a need to to hear the truth, to be empowered and educated and inspired about what MS is and isn't. And also the right. able-bodied communities that they learn. And you know, it's March's MS Awareness Month. It's so important for them to learn what this is. We're not gonna, we don't die from it. You know, we, um, we have certain medications that we can use, but we do have a choice whether we want to use them or not. You know, we there's so many myths about MS that need to yes. be, um, um, you know, cleared up 
by 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 the advocates. I keep saying advocates. I think I've said uh, that more times than not, but mm-hmm. that's the key word here, isn't it? Advocacy. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, I think it's so important. And we've focused on this with some of the medical professionals we've um, been talking to this season, but it's so important to see us as whole people. We are whole people. We're not just a set of elusive symptoms. We're people and we have real lives. And I think that so much, so many times we become our MS and we're not, I'm not my MS. I've got MS, it's a part of my identity, but you know, there's so much more than that. And I think that so often people lose sight of that. Like, oh, there's my friend, she has MS. Like that's the whole, you know, you never want to be summed up as your MS. You, You are the sum of all of your parts, a wife and an advocate and a friend, all these things. So yeah, thank you for saying that. No, absolutely. I mean, I always said that, um, you know, that saying that I have MS, MS doesn't have me. Well, yeah, that is true. But we also, um, we, we're, we're people, we're human beings, and we are imperfect, just like everyone else. And let yeah. me tell mm-hmm. you, nobody escapes this life without having something to, to deal with. Um, That's a right. Physical yeah. ailment. You know, we're all yeah. not going to live forever. No. So we all That's have right. something. So this is our something and the autoimmune disease and, and all the wonderful comorbidities that might come with it. Yeah. That's, that's just part of who we are, yeah. part of whatever plan was in store for us. Yep. This is right. what we have. And it's also, it makes us stronger because <clears throat> I think that any adversity makes us stronger. You know, I always argue that, that it doesn't make us weaker. It makes us stronger to overcome it, to face it with, um, with inner strength and with courage and with resilience. And I, I see that all the time with, within all the MS communities, whether it be an advocate community or on social media mm-hmm. community, or, you know, the first, um, I really wasn't ready to, but right after I was diagnosed, I decided, oh, I'm going to go out and, and lead a support group. Mm. And I did, and I got a lot of good speakers and it was a successful uh, support group. And when I walked in the room, I was the only one not in a wheelchair. Mm. And I have to tell Mm. you, most of these women, their husbands left them right away when they got their diagnosis. But that Mm. said, talk about facing adversity. Mm. And they were strong and they were strong. And, And look at them, they made it to a support group. They mm-hmm. were left and they're in this wheelchair and look at that. So that right. to me was a big aha moment as Oprah would say, that was a Absolutely. huge aha moment. So uh, yeah, it's all, all lessons. And um, I love the silver linings playbook. You have to look at the silver linings of any situation that you're in because there's always something. And that was the one with that one. You know, For sure. And that I, just put I a just, lot into context thinking about that so you were diagnosed you started the support group so this was you know 86 late 80s the ADA wasn't even a thing back then no as I hear you talk about the women in their wheelchairs um thinking about so much that has happened that has really made our lives livable um so that we can navigate in this world 
um, that's wow. Yeah, that just that's, really yeah. things into perspective for me. There wasn't yeah. policy like you just yes. said it, Dana. That is so yeah. crazy. Yeah, there wasn't like a public national policy that says these people have the same amount of of rights as everyone and else. access exactly and wow. access the and access. accommodations. Yeah. yeah, the access was ridiculous because this was in an old building. I don't know how they got inside because it was like a cobblestone front. Um, the front was of cobblestones. It was an, in an old building in an old town near where I lived in Montclair, New Jersey. And, um, and, and yeah, there was no access and the patient voice was quashed. Mm. The medical community, what I saw was they did not want to hear what the patients had to say. Nobody asked us questions. Nobody mm -hmm. wanted to hear what we said. Basically, go home and, and do what you need to do. And if, and I, literally, I was told to go home. And if you have a flare-up, call us and we'll give you steroids. They did not want to hear. Nobody was clamoring for our opinions. Nobody was clamoring mm -hmm. to hear what we had to say. Um, you know, the Time Magazine, I think it was Time or Newsweek, claimed the 90s, the uh, decade of the brain. And so pharmaceutical companies and uh, researchers were scrambling to try to find ways to get uh, medications out for, for us and, and other brain disorders. But until that happened in 93, Bansiron was the first medication to come out for MS. Nobody really mm -hmm. wanted to hear us. Our mm -hmm. voices were quiet. And can you imagine, can you imagine in all our our, our wildest dreams of mm -hmm. where we are right now that that was actually possible not so long ago yes i, I mean really and, and and look at what's transpired since then not only yes. that there are all these medications and more on the horizon but that we're talking about um uh holistic ways you know com complementary mm -hmm. medicine is is, is huge right. mm -hmm. cannabis no right. way <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, no way, no way, no way. And uh, <laughs> even, like I said, yoga, uh, uh, tai chi, um, meditation, that was yes. too woo-woo, you know? Nobody uh -huh. would, right. would think that that would help in the way that it does. And I'm telling you, I am dedicated to meditation every day. And it, mm -hmm. for me, it helps with anxiety and stress really does. So the landscape has changed in so many ways that I often tell uh, newly diagnosed that, look, you don't want to be part of this club, but since you are, you're actually being diagnosed at a much better time mm, because mm -hmm. you have choices and you could use yes. your voice to yes. speak up for yourself and yay for that. So let's yes. try to see the positives in that. I, I don't want to be a cheerleader or anything. Right, you know, right. MS stinks. It, it right, it's 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 yeah. a dictator. Right, but <laughs> we also have to look at the positive side too and weigh it out. Absolutely. You know, I you had said something about resilience um, with these women from the support group that you had gone to or started, and I, I guess my question is, how were your initial feelings? When you were diagnosed, like, were you, it's that, because what it sounds like to me is like, you took the, the diagnosis or the bull by the horns and you were like, okay, I got it. And I'm just going to go out and make a difference and try to educate people. Like, were you going through a period of, of sadness or, or as, Rebirth. as we've spoken, 
Yeah, grief, exactly. Yeah. And then how did you get to the point of wanting to go out and advocate and be where you where you are now? Well, um, it's funny because nobody knows how they're going to be in a situation like mm-hmm. we are until they actually go through it. Yep. And because I moved home with my parents and because we had a close relationship, uh, my mom took me to the, the doctor to, to tell me the, the, what the diagnosis was. And we went out in the car after we heard it. And I cried for about a minute because mm-hmm. I thought I had cerebral palsy first. I didn't know it. Uh, mm-hmm. No, muscle, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, muscular mm-hmm. dystrophy first. Mm-hmm. I didn't know mm-hmm. what MS was. And then I still didn't know what it was, but I looked at my mother's face and she was white as a ghost. Yeah. And I just drew back and I um, decided that I can't really let my true self show through because I wanted to support my parents. Because now as a parent, I can only imagine what they went through. What a horrible thing to see your child going through this. Mm-hmm. So I, and my boyfriend, I was really worried and I gave him the choice of staying and leaving. I was mm-hmm. really worried about all of that. And um, so I, I, I just, I don't know how, but I, I just, and I am a positive person anyway. I mm-hmm. guess that's what really, I never really thought about it, but I guess that was in play too. So I quashed all those um, negative feelings and worries and things for my parents' sake. Uh, and um, I, I, I think that the resilience came as, as an outreach of that. And also that I knew that I wanted to help other people never go through what I just went through because mm-hmm. it was pretty dark. So Mm -hmm, my resilience came with all of that. Maybe it was meant to be that I moved back home with my parents. Maybe it helped me along. Um, I can't imagine what a psychologist would have to say on that matter uh, Mm -hmm. of me quashing all Mm -hmm. those feelings, but I just kicked into gear and I was, I was 28, 27, something like that. And Mm -hmm. I just started moving forward and just doing what I did. And I don't think that it was really until my fifties when I started to notice little differences, and even now in my 60s, that I'm really starting to um, allow those emotions to wash over me because I think mm. it's really important that we all break ourselves open and yes. deal with the things yeah. that we need to deal with so that we could um, create our better selves as best as we can and move forward because we're not going to let it stop us or quash us or. Or, mm-hmm. or let us get the better of us, but we do have to deal with what we have, what the cards are. Absolutely. And so it's taken all that time. That's a really good question because I never really thought about it before till more recently. Like, how did I do that? Mm-hmm. But I did, right. but I did. And I think that my parents would have been in a really awful state if I hadn't have done that. And then there would have been guilt attached to that for me if that had happened mm-hmm. to them. So I was kind of taking care of them, uh, which they would have hated to hear because they were trying to take care of me. Right. We do that as MS patients. Your story is similar to mine because when I was diagnosed, I didn't cry. I actually just, I was pretty stoic 
I had no emotion, but my dad cried. And my mom, like your mom turned white as a ghost. I think my mom did too, as, as white as she could for with brown skin. But, um, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it was, it was just devastating. And so I knew just by the look and their reaction, how, how this would affect me and how they knew this was going to affect me because my mom had a childhood friend whose mother had MS. And so she had kind of known about it. Um, and then they're both in the medical profession. So they kind of know about this, this illness, but I was unaware. I thought I had Parkinson's like you, I didn't know what this was about, you know, because no one had ever been ill in my family. Unlike Dana's mom, very scary. Dana's mom had MS. So she was kind of familiar with that, you know, or has MS, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. My mother and her sister both have MS. So when I was diagnosed, I think my mom had been diagnosed maybe four or five years before I was diagnosed. Um, But as we know, MS is completely different for every single person who has MS. It's not the same. So when I was diagnosed, my presenting symptom was optic neuritis. And my mother had never experienced that before. So I'm having these weird visual symptoms and she, you know, that didn't mean anything to her in the context of MS. And so, I mean, it's a long and drawn out story, but yeah, so she didn't know what it, what optic neuritis was. And so of course, eventually, you know, all the things happened, MRIs and all that. And I was diagnosed, which, you know, made more sense, I guess, because my mother has MS. So I didn't go through a whole like waiting period. Um, But, you know, I think these stories really demonstrate how unique of a disease MS is and, you know, really encouraging people to not compare MSs. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah. When people ask questions in some of the groups, what do you think of this drug or that drug? And I I don't really answer it anymore because it's different for everyone. Yep. And the other thing I want to say is um, when I was diagnosed, um, they were telling us that uh, children of people that had MS, there was a less than 1% chance that your child would get MS Mm -hmm. if you gave birth, which isn't true anymore. Mm -hmm. So when we were thinking of getting pregnant, my mom took me to see, uh, nobody was talking about pregnancy and MS. Right. Um, so we had to drive about an hour and a half to upstate New York to hear a, a doctor who was specializing in uh, pregnancy and MS. And that's when she said, there's a less than 1% chance that you'll pass it on to your child, which is not true anymore. And mm-hmm. it's more than that. As we know, there's a lot of pediatric MS out there. So, Mm -hmm. so much, that was another thing you reminded me when you were talking about your mom and your, your aunt, did you say? Yep. My mom and my aunt. Yeah. And you, um, you know, there's so much more information out there for newly diagnosed women who are thinking about getting uh, pregnant or any, any Mm -hmm. diagnosed person thinking of getting pregnant that, um, there's much, uh, there's a a better research that's been done in that area. Thank goodness. Because right. That's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's tricky because of course, when I was diagnosed, my mother and she still harbors so much guilt. Like I gave you MS. No, you didn't give me MS. You had two options. Like one, not give birth to me or give birth to me. And I have MS. So I'm here right. and I'm living, I'm fine. But um, yeah, it's tricky. It's a complicated thing. Yeah. yeah. And our, our parent, yeah, my mom said the same thing. 
we have parallel lives, I think. But <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But my mom said the same thing. I said, that's, that's ridiculous. No. You know, yeah. it has nothing to do, nothing to yeah. do with that. So, I think there's a lot of blaming that yeah. that goes on and with this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because and I think my so mom felt that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, no, go ahead. Yeah, uh-huh. Your mom. Well, yeah. Your mom more so in a way, because she probably blamed herself because she had MS, but it's not, it's, you know, it's not true. I mean, we don't know because they don't know, they don't know the cause of it. No. So how yeah. can we have mm-hmm. any blame, you know? Yep. And I always felt if they found the cause, they'd find a cure. But um, yeah, right. yeah, but let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, did you see there was a new uh, report that came out today of the UK that they're uh-huh. going to be um, a huge study, I think it was called octopus study because of its long tentacles uh-huh. of mm-hmm. looking at so many different medications for other diseases and how that might be, be helpful to um, stopping MS or stopping progression. Uh-huh. It just came out in the Guardian, I posted this morning. So there's oh, so much uh-huh. going on yeah. out there. And I thought that was really uh, hopeful. Hopeful. That is. Yeah. Well, yeah. there there was a new, uh, someone had sent me a, an article. There's a, a pill form. I can't pronounce the name of this pill. I think it starts with a P, but it is uh, designed for relapsing, remitting, and active secondary progressive. I think that's what yes. the um, article was saying. Are you all familiar Johnson, with this one? From Johnson and Johnson. It's um, yes. Panis, Panisana? Panisana. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something like yeah. that. It's always mod. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. yeah, Johnson and Johnson and Janssen. And, uh, and I'm very excited about that. Another yeah. medication. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, they're right down the road from us here in Jersey, J and J. So <laughs> not that oh, that means anything, okay. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Kathy, but no, it's exciting. When Kathy, when so when the DMTs were finally becoming a thing, um, did you uh, decide? Did you uh, take a DMT? Yes. Okay. You know, we were uh, waiting for a DMT to come mm-hmm. out. I wanted something. It's like when you have a headache, you, well, yes. not the allergen, you want to take an aspirin. Right. So, uh, so, um, in 1993, as I said, beta serum came out and mm-hmm. I took it, but unfortunately I had side effects. So the mm-hmm. next one was beta serum. And, um, again, I had side effects and the next one was Copaxone. And I stayed on that for 22 years. Uh, and, it, but I started to get that needle fatigue and that's not good. So, um, now I'm on Ocovis for a couple okay. of years. I've been on it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's working. Uh, sometimes you don't know what crosses over between right. MS and age. Right. But, um, I have no more lesions on my, I mean, no added lesions on my right. MRIs, but that doesn't always tell the full story. Right. You know, I am having more mm-hmm. trouble with walking and, and right. climbing and things like that. So, <clears throat> um, so we'll see. Yeah. But there's so much uh, promise out there. And, yes. um, I, I, you know, I just want to say that it's up to the individual if they want to take DMTs or not. It's always yep. a personal choice. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, I know that MS is always going on inside of us and so yes. um, we have to just pay attention to our bodies and and try to answer uh, uh what it means using the uh, best 
um, uh, reliable information from the, the best sources available. Yeah. And that's really mm -hmm. important because there's some bad information out there. You have to oh, make yeah. sure that you find what you know is good information in connect in conjunction with your doctor's advice and also what you research and, and, and what your gut is telling you. I, mm -hmm. I was asked to do a TED like talk a couple of years ago by the consortium of MS centers. And they said, do it around what you wish, what you wish you knew when you were diagnosed. And I did trust your instincts to be your guide. Nobody would say mm -hmm. that. Trust your gut. Mm -hmm. If you yep. don't feel like mm -hmm. something's right for you, it's not. don't do it. Yep. If you don't right. think the drug is right for you, if the side effects aren't good for you, you know, don't do it. Right. Listen to your instincts because I really believe that our instincts are are and are are more powerful than we think. You know, the subconscious mm -hmm. is a brilliant machine that we were gifted with. So use yes. rely on that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm still kind of mad at the doctor who said your shoe was too tight in 1981. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> too bad he wasn't right. I could have gotten some beautiful shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. My goodness. It is kind yeah. of funny. You know what? It's like if, if I was a humor blogger, I could write that one pretty funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I went out and got Ferragamo heels. and it, No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. So. Uh, so this, like what we've been talking about in pretty much all of the episodes in this season is taking up space. And so given the fact that you were diagnosed so early on when there weren't any treatments, um, did you even recognize what it meant to hold space for yourself and take up space in this world of actually becoming, I guess, in the category of quote, disabled person, you know what I mean? Like, what did that mean to you? What did taking up space mean for you? Did you even have an idea? And what does it mean now? I have to admit, I really don't know what that means to take up space. Does mm -hmm. that mean to become into, to come into your own and, and be who Just you are? Yeah. Yes, just to be here. I mean, you know, so often I think that people with disabilities, with chronic illnesses, we are kind of made to feel small, to shrink. And we shrink ourselves because we feel that we're burdened, that we're in the way, that, you know, all of these things that make us feel kind of, you know, less than human. A lot of times our humanity is taken away from us. We just kind of become this thing. So this idea of taking up space is just really being who you are, being where you are and just really not shrinking yourself um, is an element, yeah, but that's I, kind of the gist. That's a great question because I had no idea what that even meant mm -hmm. back then. I yeah. had no idea that I was even considered part of the disability community. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think about it. I was just trying to keep up with my life and uh, figuring out what this disease was. And that mm -hmm. was really time consuming uh, yep. because there weren't many answers. Um, I couldn't even apply for a handicap placard mm. because it wasn't even talked about. I think, right? I, and I, there, I, there was no voice there. And I, um, 
I couldn't keep up with my friends at that time either. And so the relationships, some of them frizzled mm. out, which as we know, in the end, as for agreement says, you know, don't take it personally. It's their mm-hmm. problem, not ours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did not take up space. It kind of evolved over time. Even though I said I was strong in the beginning, I still didn't know where my place was. Mm. Um, and it was something that I didn't have the um, ease of relying on the internet and social media to see mm-hmm. the possibilities of what's out there. I knew no one with MS. <clears throat> and so I didn't really know where my space was. And as it evolved, and as I became more uh, uh, stronger within who I was, what I had, and that it was not something to hide, even though mine was considered an invisible illness, I still mm-hmm. did not ever want to be invisible. And mm-hmm. so that's been a work in progress, which thankfully uh, started a few years after um, my diagnosis, several years. It was all, it's, it's so different now. It's hard to describe to, to, mm-hmm. to, to younger people mm-hmm. that um, it's, it's almost like, you know, creating the wheel where, you know, people are riding horses and then all of a sudden, you know, like Henry Ford discovered that he can make this car <laughs> right, that will help right. people go. But that was never anything that uh, anyone thought about. So it was kind of like creating the wheel, only that it was me I was creating. And that mm-hmm. was to, um, to be strong and resilient and hold space in a place that I knew that people like me mattered. And that we needed to be heard in a way that hadn't happened before, you know? Uh, And so, um, and, uh, you know, that's how the National MS Society started when Sylvia Lowry took out an ad in a paper and said, hey, you know, my brother has this thing, blah, blah, blah. And it popped up from there. But it took a long time for all of us. And I say us collectively as advocates. Oh, my God is an explosion now and aren't we you know lucky to be you know we have all those people before us mm-hmm. we're on their shoulders you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah i love that term i'm glad that you guys are doing that holding space i'm gonna remember mm-hmm. that yes <laughs> that's yes. a keeper that's a keeper <laughs> Well, we have to give credit to our lovely no stress MS friend, Damian Washington. Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Because in one of it, right. One of the episodes we started talking about that. I'm like, wow, this is really profound dear Damian. So yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a pretty smart cookie, that guy. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Much beloved. Well, Kathy, your story is remarkable and I can't thank you enough. I know Dana feels the same exact way. Yes. Um, We're honored that you you took the time to come and talk with us because we have so much respect for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I am so grateful to have you guys in this space and to be doing what you're doing. Just keep up the fabulous work you're doing. I will be watching you every step of the way. Thank you. Thank you. You're most welcome. And where can people find you if they wanted to reach out and, and chat? Well, I have a blog um, that I started 10 years ago this year. It's called anempoweredspirits.com. Um, 
it's to, you know, empower, educate, and inspire the MS community. So they can find me there. They can find me on Facebook under my own name. I also have a fan page, but I don't really use that anymore. Uh, and, <laughs> and on Instagram, which I absolutely love, I love Instagram, is the yeah. Kathy Chester. The Kathy Chester. And on Twitter, I'm on Twitter too. It's Kathy Chess, C-H-E-S. I don't know, somebody else had my name out there. So Kathy Chess. But uh, I love, I really love Instagram. I love I, the visuals. I love, yeah. the, you know, yeah. um, the, uh, the live Instagrams. And uh, I think it's just a great a platform for, for us to be uh, sharing and networking and supporting each other. I love yes. that we have a the Kathy Chester and the Jenna Green. The Jenna like we Green, love our right? MS friends that are the like it's official. This is the Kathy Chester. Kathy Chester was taken. I mean it. <laughs> Whatever that is, wasn't me. Everyone recognize it. The Kathy yeah. Chester. The that's right. I gotta I gotta get Damien to write me a song about that. Right. Right. <laughs> Thank you, oh, you again so for joining yeah. us. Oh, it's really, it's really been my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Myelin Melanin. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.